Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. I'm sure you've at times sat up here and wondered, is Andy going to be able to pronounce the word he's trying to get out of his mouth? Oftentimes, it's hard when you stand in front of people to enunciate what you're trying to say. And so I found this really great resource to help us all pronounce words well. It's called pronounce, uh, Pronunciation Manual on YouTube. And so I thought the best way for us to start our conversation this morning is let's take, for example, our first word. Okay, maybe that's not cappuccino. So let's try this next, our, our, this famous actor. Kokonakwoa. 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 Okay, we skipped over Joaquin Phoenix, which is difficult for all of us to say. Well, maybe this last one, this famous ancient king. Maybe we can get this one right. Nibancho Doncho. Nibancho Doncho. Nibancho Doncho. So our scripture is going to be from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6 this morning. Try to say that word five times fast. It doesn't exactly come out the way you want it to. Deuteronomy, I think, has got to be the most difficult word to spell within all of scripture, and maybe sometimes the most difficult to pronounce. Seriously, try to say Deuteronomy five times real quick. It's not going to come out the way you want. So take a look, book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verse 4. Now, this is the fifth book in the entire Bible, so if you're looking, you can count from the beginning. That's easy way to get to it. Uh, The book is a narrative of Israel's wandering in the wilderness. Also, the book of Exodus and the book of Numbers tells us a little bit about each of those things. But instead of focusing in on the book of Numbers, of the number of mistakes that the Hebrew people made, the book of Deuteronomy is intended to help shape and form a people who are wandering. We have to keep in mind that what Israel is exited out of Egypt, they're freed from Egypt, they're, they're heading to the promised land, they disobey God again and again and again. God says, 40 years in the wilderness. So what do you do with 40 people, or four, excuse me, what do you do with people for 40 years? Well, you help shape and form them into a distinctness. So Deuteronomy is a book that gives shape to those who are God's chosen people. Its chief contents are things called Torah, the law. Uh, These are instructions, directions, guidance, uh, laws that were given to people to help shape and form them, both to set them apart, to help them understand the faith group that they were following. And so it's a book of formation. But it's also a book of formation in the sense of restoration. Keep in mind that the people have made mistakes again and again and again. And so the book is intended to help shape them and form them in in light of God's grace and love for them. And so we're going to take a look at a famous uh, text and a text that we actually spent five weeks on a couple years ago. Uh, it's, it's a text that can be summarized in a few words. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. This is called the Shema. It's the prayer of the Hebrew people. And any Orthodox Jew would begin their day and end their day with the enunciation of this prayer. 
It's a famous prayer for us because Jesus, when asked what is the greatest command, what did he respond? He responded with the Shema. So let's dig into this fascinating book. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Here we go. Hear, O Israel. We'll stop right there. (laughs) This is where we're going today. It's going to go that deep. The writer begins his speech with hear. It's actually the Hebrew word Shema. It's a call to listen. It's a call to obey. Shema here is used over a thousand times in the entire Old Testament. When instructions were passed on to Joshua as he took up leadership going for Moses into the promised land, God said, hear, listen to these things. When God calls out to Moses from that burning bush, he says, listen, he says, hear. Here is the message that God put on the lips of the prophets that will come hundreds, thousands of years from now. When they call to the people to hear, to listen to this voice from God. So Shema is a call to listen. It's a call to take in what is about to be spoken. To take it inside you. To to get it straight. To make this a part of your life. It's not just a call to say, just simply listen. It's a call to truly hear and to receive what is being said. Jesus spoke this phrase often in the Gospels. He who has ears to hear, let them hear. So Jesus maybe would rephrase it this way. You have heard it said, but I tell you. So whatever is about to be spoken is really, really important. A few months ago, I had the opportunity to travel to the state of Washington for my work with the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. Uh, Part of my role in coordinating new church starts for CBF is that I have to do site visits for any church starters we commission. And so we uh, commissioned some church starters in Spokane, Washington. And it's not every day that you get to go to the great Northwest. And I found some really good deals on flights. And so I took the girls with me. Of course, CBF pays for my travel. And so I just paid for theirs. Traveling by myself is one thing. I do that often. But traveling with two little girls is a completely different thing altogether. And what didn't help us, when we got to RDU, the plane was delayed 45 minutes, which was really helpful considering we had an hour layover in Detroit. So we're now working with 15 minutes. They start boarding 30 minutes before your flight. So we land in, in Detroit, and our Seattle flight has already been boarding for 25 minutes. The captain was nice enough to tell everybody on the plane, unless you are rushing to get to a flight, Please stay seated and let those people who are rushing out to go. I think all of like three people listened to him. So, of course, once we get off the plane, what doesn't help is that we realize our gate is here. And literally the gate we're going to is the opposite side of the airport, literally 400 yards away. And so with a stroller and two children and multiple bags, Jennifer and I are literally sprinting through this airport. Aubriana was riding in the stroller. She thought it was the greatest thing ever. And as we're running down, I hear over the PA system, this is the last call for Andrew Hale, Jennifer Hale, Madison Hale, Aubriana Hale. Attention, attention. This is the last call for flight AA456 to Seattle. We make it there. My heart is literally, I think it's going to fall out of my chest and I'm gasping for breath, but we made it. That's the type of message, really, I think the author is trying to to cry out to us from, from this text, is to ask people to listen, to pay attention, to understand, not to simply just hear something, but but receive it down deep. How many times do we not receive anything in life because we're not truly listening? Or how often do we not receive it because we're too stubborn to receive a message? Sometimes we have all the reasons in the world to listen, but we choose not to. 
And we can listen, but there's a difference between listening and hearing sometimes. Hence why sometimes in Scripture where the Shema is used again, uh, texts like Isaiah where it says, You have neither heard nor understand. From your old ears you have not opened them. Or Jeremiah says, To whom can I speak and give warning? Who will listen to me? Their ears are closed so they cannot hear. The word of the Lord is offensive to them. They find no pleasure in it. Or Ezekiel writes this, The Son of Man, you are living among a rebellious people. They have eyes to see, but they do not see, and ears to hear, but they do not hear. So whatever the narrator is about to speak, again, we're just a few words into this. They want them to pay attention, to listen, to hear this. But then the text really takes formation because it didn't just say here, but it says, Hear, O Israel. If you haven't been with us, we're journeying through the scripture an entire year. And so we've covered Genesis through today, the book of Deuteronomy. And so we've learned more and more about this people group called Israel. This name was first given to them because one of their forebears, a man named Jacob, after wrestling with a messenger from God, God changes his name to Israel, which literally means wrestles with God. And this is the story of the Hebrew people. Year after year, generation after generation. Think of even Abraham, the original patriarch. God says, I'm going to make a great nation through you. I'm going to give you a child in your old age. And they become impatient. They don't listen. And that whole Hagar mess happens. Abraham's grandson, Jacob and Esau, were the poster children for rebellion. We think about the Hebrew people after they're freed from slavery. Even chapters later, after they're freed from slavery, they're still not listening to God. They're still rebelling. They're still wrestling with this call on their life. And then beyond our book, in the book of Judges, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, the, the prophets, again and again, this repeats that the people wrestle with God. All of a sudden, this call to attention makes all the sense in the world. Their name is significant. God is calling them out to something significant. And I wonder if we can reflect before we move any further is how do we wrestle with God? I wonder if we can begin to see how God wants to call us to attention to something significant, something life changing, something life giving in our life. Are we willing to listen? Look back at verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, what's happening here is that the writer is trying to give some formation and shape around this God that is calling them to something great. Something is about to happen. Something wonderful. And so Moses, as he's delivering this speech, is trying to tell them, it's very important you understand who it is this God is speaking to you. It says, the Lord. It's the Hebrew word, Adonai. It's, it's a derivative of the most holy name of God that the Hebrew people refuse to speak, the, the word Yahweh. And so he's trying to say that there's this holy God, Adonai, he is calling you to something great. But it also uses another term for God here, Elohenu. And it's hard to put formation around that word because literally it means the force, like Jedi, the force, like that cool. Or the power within or the power that overcomes. Sometimes the easiest way for us to translate Elohenu is, is. That's it. Is. Think 
about the story of Moses as we weave our way through the book of Deuteronomy, the man that's delivering this speech. Remember that, that uh, Moses, uh, he realizes he's not an Egyptian. He realizes he's a Hebrew. He begins to sympathize with the Hebrew people, he, even killing an uh, Egyptian taskmaster as he beats a Hebrew man. He runs off, starts a whole new life, is away from everything in Egypt, and then God calls to him from a burning bush. We know this story, right? God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to free my people. And then Moses asks a very curious question to God. He says, that's great and all, but who should I say is sending me? There's a lot of gods that people were worshiping at this time. So who should I say I am going in behalf of? Who is freeing the the Hebrew people from slavery? And you remember what God says? He says, tell them I am who I am. Tell them the I am sent me. In other words, Elohenu, I am existence. God is? Take a step back and consider just how complex our text is. Just a few words into it. Israel, listen up. Our God is. But this text is, is not just trying to identify God. It's trying to do something very specific to the Hebrew people. And I think to us, it's not calling us just to identify God, but to be exclusive to that God. To give exclusive fidelity and allegiance to that God. You see, God, it's important that we understand who God is, if we can even begin to understand that. But it's not just about our ideologies and our religion and our theology towards God. It's about our allegiance to that God. Our fidelity to that God. Our exclusivity to that God. And we will see with Israel in the next few books that we will cover that again and again they fall to worship this God and that God. They, they break away who they are to so many other things. And this God demands that we have God's allegiance. What other being can we say simply is? This God demands exclusivity. And so this God wants us to listen. This God wants to give us something important. Look back at verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Verse 5. Love the Lord your God. I thought God was going to ask something tough for us. <laughs> Exclusivity. I, I can love God. I mean, uh, I love my children. I love my wife. I love a, a red eye from Starbucks. If you haven't had that, it's a cup of coffee with a shot of espresso in it or two shots for a black eye. If you really want some caffeine for the day. I love The Walking Dead. I love most movies that I see. I love running. I love cycling. I love all these things. We love so many things, don't we? Our world loves, it's, everything is hashtag love, right? I remember in 7th grade, I loved Lauren. In 8th grade, it was Allison. In ninth and 10th grade, it was Kim. In 11th and 12th grade, it was Aaron. We love so many things. But the writer is not calling us to simply just love something. It's calling us to have this deeper formation of love towards this God that is. The word it uses here is ahab. It's expressing that this is a type of love that that a human can have towards God, that God can have towards us. It's this love that recognizes deeper within us that there is this power that's igniting in this world. We are created to love this God. This God is created to love us. He's created us for that reason. And so it's a call to love. 
What is it asking us to love? Look back at verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Now we're getting somewhere. Love the God, Lord your God with all of your soul, with all of your strengths. These commands that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Your heart. The word it's calling us here, it doesn't just mean heart. Again, English is such a simple language, but like we try to translate these ancient languages and, and try to find a word that describes a word that really has multiple meanings behind it. And so heart in the Hebrew sense isn't just talking about your heart and the way that we heart everything. It's talking about the seat of all emotion, all knowledge and understanding, all wrapped up into one word. When you hear the word heart, the context of our passage, what should come to mind is a person's intellect, their will, their desire. It's the same word that Jesus used when he uses the word cardia, and it means the seat, the fountain of all emotion, passions and desires and affections and purpose and understanding. Saying love God with all of that. And so the heart represents something so much more than we can conceive. There's another fascinating story from the life of Moses. Um, Moses is such a unique individual within Scripture. Here's this man that literally ran away from everything to find nothing, just to be called out from God, just to go do this great and powerful thing. This is the man who stood before the most important person in the world this time in Pharaoh and said that God said, let him go, and he leads him out after all that resistance. This is the man that helped, through the power of God, separate the, the Red Sea and to perform many great miracles. And Moses has this fascinating relationship with God. And there's this moment on Mount Sinai, the same place that he received the Ten Commandments, where he's about to go do something great. The people are rebelling already, and he's just not sure if he has the abilities to lead the people. And God says to Moses, I'm going to be with you. But Moses is like, yeah, God, but these people are terrible. And so God does something very fascinating in in Exodus 33. He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to step into your presence into a physical form. Like the very thought of that, like, is amazing. He says, I'm going to step into your presence and it's going to bring this glory, this glow around you so that the people, when they look at you, they will know that you are led by me, that they will follow you wherever you go because I am with you. And Moses, the only thing he could say is, show me your glory. It's a, it's a cry out from the heart of Moses. It's his heart song that says, God, I love you with all of my heart. Show me your glory. But then the author of the Shema doesn't stop there. What does he say? Love God with all of your soul. Again, this isn't a word that translates well into English because it doesn't mean the soul in the way we think about it. It means something much deeper. It means so much more than we can consider. Uh, soul is, is more than your flesh and blood. It's blood. It's more than your emotions. It's more than these things. The best word to describe it is yourself. Love God with all of your self. Your selfness. Your selfness is your DNA makeup, who you are, your consciousness, your personality, your giftedness, your interests, your strengths, your passions. All of these things make up who you are. And the writer says, give God your self, all of yourself. Is everybody following? This stuff just blows my mind every time I read it. And there it says, I don't want you to love God with all your heart and mind and soul and consciousness. See, that that love that we give God, it should propel us into what we do. When we love God with our heart, our self then follows God. This is layer upon layer. 
But the problem is, like the people of Israel, we can give our heart to God, but most of the time we're giving him portions of our heart or portions of ourself. Because we find so many other gods, so many other things, so many other people that we break off our heart and our soul and we give that to them and we give it to this and we give it to that God. We could focus in on on the different ways that our self begins to express that breaking of our soul. But I think we need to get down to the root of that. The problem is a heart and soul problem. It's a heart and soul problem where we become so comfortable with breaking off ourself that we have really nothing left but shattered pieces to give God. Jesus hits on this a bit, this fracturing of our heart and soul when he said, You have heard it said to people long ago, do not murder. Anyone who murders is subject to judgment or do not be angry with your brother or you're subject to judgment. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. I tell you, but not even look lustfully at a woman, for you've already committed adultery in your heart. Again, what Jesus is trying to say is, it's not just about the act that you're doing things. It's about what happens deep within yourself, your heart. Those things we also fractured. The things that people will never see, and we give them away to so many different lovers. And so the call of the Shema, this call to to listen, it makes sense, doesn't it? How can we be exclusive to God if we have only portions to give God? We have a divided devotion. Pastor and writer Nadia Boltz Weber writes this, Don't we piece our hearts to unrequited lovers for so many false promises and self-indulgences? And doesn't the toxicity of all of it seem to preserve those little pieces of our hearts like formaldehyde? If we're brutally honest, we, we kind of whore ourselves out to so many things. And so this call to Israel doesn't seem all that far-fetched from our own lives and my own life. This call to be exclusive to God, and it's so hard because what do we have left to give that God? Even think of Moses, the man delivering this speech. This is the great hero of Exodus and and Numbers and Deuteronomy. But this is also the man who doesn't enter into the promised land because of his own choices. See, Moses not only became so self-consumed with what God thought of him, but he became so self-consumed with what the people thought of him, if they would approve his leadership. He became so self-interested that it began to propel his decisions, even doing things in the name of God, yet taking the credit for himself. And for that very reason, Moses taking a piece of his self and a heart, giving it to the people, giving it to God, giving it to himself, Moses doesn't enter into the promised land, the great hero of the book of Exodus. And so how do we do that? How do we come around this fracturing? I think how we do that is how the author ends this speech. It says, love God with all of your heart and all of your soul. And then what? All of your strength. It's the Hebrew word, mahat. It's a fascinating word because it means might and force. And I don't know about you, but I begin to think about Anud and like all the strength he has. Like that's what God is trying to say. We're going to be strong like that and give that to God. Or like Kristen Colfer, who was in this back parking lot yesterday, literally hauling a truck across the parking lot. Like that kind of strength. Is that what we're talking about? Because for many of us, when we think about it, we don't have that strength. 
what should intimidate us yet encourage us is that God also describes that he loves us with all of God's strength. And so God is calling us to to give all of ourselves to him. Not just portions, but with all of our strength, all of our might. The word also means exceedingly and fully. Love God exceedingly and fully. So we're called to love God when it's easy and when it's utterly challenging. We're called to love God when it's convenient and when it seems like the least natural thing for us to do. Excuse me. We're called to love God deeply and fully and wholly. How? How do we do this? Well, I think the conclusion is we can't do this by our own strength, by our own might. You see, this is the call of Jesus. The call of Jesus is for not us to follow ourselves with our own strength, with our own heart, with our own soul. But instead, what does Jesus say? Come and follow me. Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is easy and light. Look at this saint of the Lord right here. Hopefully in the podcast, Sarah will edit it and will have me gulping. And hopefully you won't hear it either. So disgusting. So let's just call it what this is. God is calling you. Not just your belief systems. Not just when it's convenient. Not when it's easy. God is calling you. All of you. Even the stuff that's not perfect. Because the same God that's calling us to exclusivity, the same God that's calling us to even take these fracturing pieces is the same God that's going to take what we have to offer and God is going to lift it up and to mend it. To take our broken hearts and our broken souls and make it whole through God's love for us we see in Jesus Christ. And so the invitation of the Shema, to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, I think Jesus wrapped it up best when he said this. Seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. We point our hearts and minds to God. There's a great French Jesuit priest, Jean-Pierre Croissant. I took French one year. And he wrote this. For those who abandon themselves to it, God's love contains every good thing. And if you long for it with all of your heart and soul, it will be yours. All God asks for is love. And if you search for this kingdom, where God alone rules, you can be quite sure you will find it. For if your heart is completely devoted to God, your heart itself, this treasure, this very kingdom, which you desperately and so passionately need and desire. Maybe the words of the prophet Joel should be our prayer this morning. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart. With fasting and weeping and mourning, rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. For God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.